0: This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Dowley. Our guest this week is Senate Minority Whip Dick Durbin. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Illinois Senator Dick Durbin next This is AgriPulse Open Mic. The nation has faced a number of weather, economic, political, and trade challenges over the past several decades. But Illinois U.S. Senator Dick Durbin says COVID-19 outranks them all.
1: I can't think of a more difficult time for the agriculture community in Illinois and across the nation. When you look at all of the challenges put together, it's coming at them in every direction. I mean, first, we had our problems with soybean growers and trade with China and the, the fight over tariffs and such and the problems that it created. Secondly, our corn growers looking to the ethanol industry as they have in the past for more demand faced these small refinery waivers, which ended up becoming a serious problem. Then you have uh, our, our livestock folks. I had a conference call last week with uh, people who are raising cattle as well as pork producers. Uh, the Processing uh, plants uh, and and the production facilities they've counted on in the past are just not accepting livestock uh, because of problems they have with the health of the workers there. The largest pork uh, producing uh, plant in the United States, uh, as announced in Iowa, in Waterloo, that they're going to suspend operations because of the number of people who are sick. I mean, you put this all together, those who were growing specialty crops for restaurants that now don't have the demand, farmers that, you know, are plowing under crops and dairy folks who are dumping milk, it is a, a, a time of great testing in the agriculture community, greater than I've ever seen.
0: It is a very difficult time for you and other leaders And balancing the health of the populace with the overall state of the economy?
1: Well, we've got to defeat this virus, number one. That is the highest priority. And that means developing a vaccine, which is the only real answer to give us peace of mind. And we're months away from that happening. What do we do in the meantime? Well, we try to stop people from getting sick. We stay home as much as we can, we avoid contacting crowds, we wear masks. We do the you know, obvious common sense things to avoid passing on the infection. And there are people who are getting antsy and anxious, and some uh, for economic reasons. They've either lost their job or stand to lose their business if it continues to be closed. I get it. But if we don't defeat this virus on the front end of this, Sadly, we're going to reopen too soon and be faced with even more problems in the
0: future. Do you think there's a chance that rural areas can turn the economic machine back on quicker than, per se, urban areas? And you have both in your state of Illinois.
1: There's a lesser rate of infection, at least we think, because testing has been limited. But we think that there's a reduced rate of infection in uh, small-town America, rural areas. That doesn't apply to all of them. There are hotspots, nursing homes and the likes, even in rural areas. But the key to using that information responsibly is more testing. This latest bill that we passed adds $25 billion more for testing. We need to dramatically increase the testing so that you know right, uh, right there as you're standing there whether or not you're infected or not. And if we can find areas where infections are low, where people, if they're near one another, are less likely to spread this disease, uh, then I think that's the way to approach it. But testing is the key.
0: All throughout 2019, we were looking at the downturn of the farm economy and the challenges with trade and trying to draw comparisons back to the 1980s. Uh, It wasn't a direct parallel. But now that we see the ethanol industry challenge, that we see packing plants that are closing indefinitely, uh, this appears to be not just an economic challenge for this year, but a threat for a purge in farms across the country. Is the threat that real?
1: It is. It's very real. And I've met with farmers face to face, uh, it's a couple months ago before we off, went off to a sheltered place in our homes. And I met with them in Washington and I, I can't recall a level of emotion like this among the agriculture community. I mean, th- there were people in tears over the thoughts that their kids wouldn't be able to carry on because of the financial challenges they currently face. Uh, and And I get it, I understand it. Uh, I wish I could change it you know quickly. I don't know that it will be, but we ought to make sure that when we send out a helping hand that we we not forget how vulnerable so many people are in the farm belt across America.
0: How about maintaining land values? Is that more than just providing income or relief from financial debt in the short run?
1: You know the response so far has been. Uh, the real estate values in most areas have not changed dramatically. At least that was a report a couple months ago. And I think that reflects a long-term view that we're going to get through this and be profitable again, uh, the sooner the better, I might add. And as long as there's that basic optimism, I think real estate values will reflect that.
0: So we've asked a lot of the small business administration giving them a very limited amount of time to appropriate funds not just for farms but especially for farm, uh, for for uh, small businesses across the country and certainly in rural America. How do you rate their response to this crisis?
1: Good. And you you put your finger on it. We are talking about dispersing billions of dollars in days across America. Billions of dollars through banking institutions and the Small Business Administration. Uh, We passed the measure. We we put it together in a matter of eight days. And just to give you some perspective, the $2.2 trillion rescue package, which passed 96 to nothing in the Senate, $2.2 trillion is equivalent to the annual federal budget for all domestic discretionary spending. That's all spending other than the Pentagon. And you think to yourself, you put that together in eight days and you disperse the money. I'm sure some mistakes were made in the process. I'm sure that they, I hate to use the word bureaucracy, but the government operations that back it up uh, have been pushed to the limit in many respects. People are anxious. We want to get them an answer as quickly as possible. Uh, we'll get better at this. We rely on the states when it comes to unemployment benefits, the federal government when it comes to the small business benefits. Uh, we've got to make sure that we do this in a professional way, but we've got to do it quickly.
0: How about the response to the nutrition needs, the food needs of the country?
1: Well, I worry about that because we're concerned when we don't see the ordinary distribution network, the food supply network, which we've counted on in the past. It's been interrupted by businesses that have gone out of business, by people who are sick and can't work, by the demand side being changed so dramatically with the restaurant industry closing down. And now we have this pork processing uh, just announcing over in Waterloo, Iowa. You wonder, well, what's the long-term impact on that? That sounds like we're going to end up with a shortage of product. And it sounds like uh, farmers who are uh, livestock producers are going to end up with a, a lot of cattle and a lot of hogs waiting for market. When's it going to open? Uh, I, one fellow who was uh, in, in the cattle business talked to me last week and said, I've never had this happen before. I'm sitting here with a three-week supply ready to ship, and I've been waiting three weeks, and there's no place to send them. So that reality is turning this upside down, and we're going to have to adjust to it. When it comes to on the street level, the food pantries and uh, feeding sites, you know, record-breaking numbers are showing up, people, because of the economic circumstances they face.
0: Seldom have we had weather events that affected the whole nation, per se, a drought. But hurricane damage would be in a particular region. Weather might be more broad. Flooding might be more broad. But it appears that this has affected nearly every commodity that we have and the distribution system. So the CARES Act, one of the lion's share of the dollars that first went out, was to non-program crops and the produce industry, as well as the food chain along with that. Do you agree with the dollars and how that was done?
1: I do, but I think we ought to take care to watch carefully to make sure that the money's well spent and uh, the taxpayers' dollars are respected. But then let's see what the impact's going to be. You know, we might need to move into other areas that weren't as obvious at the start here. Let's be open-minded about this. There are things that have happened which I didn't anticipate. I certainly didn't think, even though I when I was a college kid, I worked in a packing plant down in East St. Louis, but I didn't think we'd have this direct impact on meat and poultry processing that we've had so far. We've got to have our eyes wide open when it comes to these things and be able to respond as quickly as we can. Now, I will tell you, that we included some pretty substantial funds to the Department of Agriculture and the Commodity Credit Corporation and what I've heard from the president and secretary Purdue is that they're anticipating in a few weeks some additional assistance in the farm belt i don't know what it is but they're working on it they say they're trying to put it together right now
0: the commodity credit corporation has a 30 billion dollar annual limit that was a number that was set back in 1987 Senator, the American Farm Bureau said if we adjusted that figure just for inflation, it would be around $68 billion. Would you support or is it a good idea to look at adjusting that CCC figure in the future? Definitely.
1: Let's take care that we look at where it's really needed and spend it wisely. But we've got to be open to the possibility that that number, which made sense a few decades ago, does not make sense today in light of the crisis we face.
0: The ethanol industry did not receive help, and Secretary Purdue just simply suggested there's not enough money to go around. But yet, the ethanol industry has 350,000 jobs and buys a lot of corn that's produced in your state and others. Is there any way to help? Well,
1: you know, I, I have to tell you, I this started off with a small refinery waiver, a handful of exceptions, and then it turned out to be a nationwide effort to r- really. Uh, to break the link between ethanol and the gasoline and fuel industry. And that to me is just plain wrong. And it really has hurt. You know, I think half of the corn that we grow in the state goes into alcohol fuel production in normal times. But now we have this exceptions, waivers that have gone on for a long period of time, over a year. And I've joined with others, Democrats and Republicans protesting it. And to be very blunt with you, we just haven't made any progress with this administration. I hope they'll reconsider it in the light of the hardship that a lot of our corn growers are facing.
0: I noted the oil and gas industry are high on the list of those who have received funds through the Small Business Administration and the Paycheck Protection Program. Uh, So one industry receiving and the other, as yet, nothing to favor.
1: Couldn't agree with you more. They seem to have friends in high places, don't they? And they seem to do well in not going through their own problems, don't get me wrong. With the price gasoline, you can see that in the market today. But, you know, by and large, I wish there was as much sympathy for the alcohol fuel industry as there is for the oil and gas industry.
0: You talked about the delicate balance between human health and also the economy. So let's dive into the packing industry for just a moment. Uh, We've run to a situation now that the employees are in danger and the industry needs them to work. What are the calls among federal agencies to be able to come together with protocols to get them back on the job?
1: You know, I told Chuck Grassley at home a few days ago. We're buddies. You might not think that you know, that conservative Republican and Durban are <laughs> political allies, but we worked on a lot of things. So I called him on the farm, and it, knowing Chuck, he's pretty outspoken. He said, can't do anything. It's too cold. And I said, well, what are we going to do about this packing? Well, what do you think we ought to do? And we, we chatted for a few minutes. You know, there's some things that are easy and obvious. When it comes to protective gear for the workers, that ought to be a given. But I'm sure that the companies thought of that uh, at some point, or at least how to deal with it. Secondly, you know, it is the nature of work in these packing. Uh, if you take a look at the uh, the photos and such, they're shoulder to shoulder in what they're doing. They're next to one another working these lines. That's what I did when I was a kid, I mentioned earlier. So it, it's tough to say, you know, keep your social distance in a packing house. In addition to that, though, there should be testing. So that, you know, if we had the testing and we went to a place that was a hot spot, like uh, Waterloo, Iowa, at this processing facility, we could figure out who's testing positive and say, you don't go to work today. You're just going to create problems down the line for yourself and others. So more testing would be part of it, too. There may be a need for hazard pay, too. These are not jobs that people jump up to fill because they're tough and dirty and and demanding jobs there are a lot of undocumented workers from mexico and from africa at our meat and poultry processing plants in illinois so it could be that some hazard pay is going to be necessary at some point uh, to revive the industry
0: senator are washington's pockets deep enough to prevent scorched earth and small businesses and the ag industry and the food industry, uh, and our, and our economic machine overall?
1: That's sure the right question. And I don't know the answer. We've never had anything like this. We never faced anything like this. And the people, business leaders and economists that you talk to say, we can't afford to let this economy flop. Not just for the people who live here, but for a world that counts on us. Uh, we've been a leader, we'll be a leader in the future. We're trying now to toss out the life preservers uh, for businesses and others to get through this. Uh, How much and how long this will take is anybody's guess. But there's a lot at stake here. This economy took a long time to build, and we don't want to see it go through the kind of pain that apparently is on the horizon.
0: We already had a challenge with rural health care, and it certainly hasn't gotten any easier with this COVID-19. How much has been done, and how much more do you feel like will need to be done?
1: Well, I worry about that a lot. Here I am in Springfield, downstate, and looking around at the hospitals. I had a conference call uh, just uh, a few days ago, and there were 25 hospital administrators from all over the state. Well, of course, the big city hospitals in Chicago have a story to tell, an important one, and I listened carefully. But then I listened to the downstate hospital administrators as well. And here's the problem they've run into Many of them are shoestring operations. They look like big, powerful hospitals. But when it comes to revenues, they count on two things, elective surgeries and outpatient treatment. Both of those things have been cut back dramatically But for a number of reasons. People put off surgeries because they don't want to go outside the house at a time when it may be you know a health scare going on. And secondly, when it comes to the surgeries in these hospitals, they take an awful lot of protective equipment masks and gloves and gowns and shields and things that are needed. And some of these are in very short supply. So the hospitals have cut back on those usual sources of revenue, and many of them worry about staying open. So in the latest bill, we put a $100 billion more in for the hospitals and said, focus, if you will, on vulnerable hospitals, rural downstate hospitals, for example, small town hospitals as well as inner-city hospitals, that didn't get help from the federal government in the first round. I worry about them, making sure they have the right doctors and nurses there, but also making sure they keep the lights on.
0: Senator, just one question left here, if I can, and then we'll go to close. And that question is this. I had a friend send me a video of George W. Bush in 2005 and a speech suggesting that we needed to prepare for a global pandemic. Well, now that this has happened, and certainly there are scars, it will end. How do we learn from this, and what do we do as a result of this?
1: Well, boy, that is the right thing to say. And I hope that we reach a point soon where we can take a breath, reflect on what we've been through, and be prepared for it, the fact that it may happen again uh, in a matter of decades or years. Who knows? Uh, And, you know, it's a lesson to be learned uh, in terms of our national stockpile. Let's start there. We never envisioned we'd have a 50-state disaster situation. We do. We've got to anticipate that and have the warehousing of critical medical supplies uh, that are there, regardless of the scope of it. Whether it's terrorism or a virus tomorrow, we've got to be ready for it. Secondly, we've got to be thinking about how to deal with some of these public health issues. We think this whole virus started in what's called a wet market in China, where they were selling animals that had been taken in and being sold to people that frankly shouldn't be next to one another, and that exposed to the public. Maybe we need some international conversation to talk about some of these safety aspects of these viruses and where they start and how to stop them. And we certainly need to make sure we have the healthcare professionals in the future. To think of what we ask new doctors to face after going through all that school, all that residency, we give them a debt of $240,000 and then say, well, pick the place you want to practice. What's the likelihood they're going to come to small-town America? Not very strong. I'm working on the bill on that, I might add. So when it comes to preparing the national stockpile, preparing the health care workforce, taking a look at these international public health issues from an international viewpoint, we've got a lot of work to do.
0: Senator, we thank you for your service to the country over the years, and certainly in such challenging times as these, and especially now taking time to spend with us on this edition of Open Mic. Senator, it is Open Mic, and you've got the last word today.
1: My last word is this. America's been through some tough times. There are people listening to this program who either lived through or heard from their parents and grandparents about Great Depressions and World Wars and other scares that we've had in our nation's history. This is a big challenge, but we're up to it. America's up to it. We'll get through this. Tomorrow's a better day, uh, and we'll be together stronger at the end of this. We've got to work together as best we can, put politics and every other thing that divides us aside. And remember, we're lucky to be in the greatest nation on earth, and it'll be that again soon.
0: Our thanks to Senate Minority Whip Dick Durbin, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jack Daly.